The reading from the Word of God is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. When the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take Kyle and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. Thanks so much, Chris. I'll pray before we uh, take a little bit of a closer look at that passage. Precious Father, thank you so much for your word. Please be with us now as we reflect on it a little bit more uh, and help us to grow in our faith in you and our desire to uh, obey you and love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have heard of Alan Turing, uh, the British mathematician during World War II. Uh, he's said to have constructed a replica of the Enigma machine that was able to break the secret code the Nazis were using uh, to pass you know, secret messages amongst their army. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he uh, played him in a 2014 film, uh, The Imitation Game, uh, which you may have seen. But what you may not know is that Years and years before Alan, uh, a Polish cryptologist, Marian Rajewski, uh, did much of the work to make breaking the Enigma code possible. He pioneered the use of pure mathematics in cryptoanalysis and his mathematical theorem is said to have uh, been the theorem that won World War II. Ironically, and perhaps fittingly as a uh, cryptologist, uh, Marian kept his uh, involvement in breaking the code secret for the next 20 years uh, to avoid 
uh, adverse attention from uh, Poland's Soviet-dominated government at the time, which might explain why Turing is well known and Marian less so. Clearly, um, cryptology and cryptography uh, can change the course of history as people have been using it uh, at least since ancient Egyptian times to do so, to, to, to pass on important and secret information. Indeed, the word cryptography comes from the Greek uh, crypto, which means hidden, and graphere, which means uh, writing. So it's hidden writing, which makes the Old Testament, the Bible, uh, the most important work of cryptography ever produced. Because although it can be appreciated on many levels, uh, it can't be fully understood unless you have the special key or, or theorem uh, to unlock the hidden meaning in its writings. And the key is given to us in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the key is not only to uh, unlock the Old Testament, but also to unlock the hidden meaning behind being human, uh, behind doing life. And that key is Jesus. So that's where we're going today, uh, to see that Jesus is firstly the key to unlocking the Old Testament uh, and secondly he's the key to unlocking doing life. But a little bit uh, of a recap first. Uh, yesterday, Christmas Day, uh, we read the first bit of Matthew 2 uh, with the Magi, the wise men, uh, guided by a star, come to Jesus with their gifts to show us that Jesus is for all people, not just for the Jews, and that they came to him to worship him uh, and that by virtue of that, uh, they give us an example of uh, what God has uh, always intended for all people to come to uh, Jesus and have a very bright future with him, an eternal bright future. Now, after that, uh, the wise men are warned not to go back to King Herod, as you heard in the kids' talk uh, and in the Bible reading, and uh, tell they, so yeah, they don't tell uh, Herod about baby Jesus, but Herod finds out and he's furious, which brings us to the passage that we're looking at today. And to our first point, Jesus is the key to unlocking the Old Testament. At least that's what Matthew seems to think. Right from uh, the start of his uh, gospel, uh, Matthew's been keen to, to link Jesus to Father Abraham and to King David, key Old Testament characters that God made promises to and in spite of them and their descendants, God keeps his promises and is keeping his promises as they and the events surrounding them foreshadow Jesus and the events surrounding him, which uh, Matthew shows by quoting the Old Testament over and over again in his Gospel, which you might have noticed in our reading. God tells uh, Joseph, firstly, to take Mary and Joseph to safety in Egypt, uh, verse 14. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's a quote from the prophet Hosea uh, where God was saying, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. This refers to God saving the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, way back, where he calls them, the Israelites, his son. And yet Matthew sees uh, this relating to Jesus. Uh, that where the Israelites were seen as God's special people, chosen by him out of all the nations, they were a pattern, they were a type, a shadow of God's truly special son, Jesus. Because Jesus is God's son in more than metaphor. 
importantly too, in the Old Testament, in the lines, uh, the kings in the line of David, they're often spoken of as God's, spoken of as God's son too. And since Matthew has made a big deal, such a big deal in chapter 1, of linking the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, uh, and the descendants of David, the kings, which the Old Testament, as mentioned, talks of God's sons in a metaphorical sense, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is not just God's son metaphorically as an Israelite or as a descendant of David, but literally. I mean, he's born of a virgin by God. For goodness sake, you know. So Jesus is God's son in a very unique sense. He's the true Israelite. He's the king of Israel. He's God the son. And as such, he's the key to unlocking the meaning of the Old Testament, which is the testimony to God's promises coming true through the Israelites in the person of Jesus. But Matthew's not finished there. Uh, in this passage, as he goes on to record Herod's massive and disturbing move to kill all the firstborn boys in Bethlehem in a failed attempt to get rid of Jesus, Matthew sees this as the fulfilment of Scripture too. Uh, verse 17, we read, then it was said, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That quote uh, is found in a chapter that not only talks of Israel as God's son, but of the love that God has for his wayward people, uh, the Israelites, uh, the descendants of Jacob and Rachel. And although they've suffered terribly with the loss of many children, it's been as a result of God exiling them from the land as punishment for their sin. And yet in this chapter, in uh, Jeremiah, chapter 31, he's promising to mercifully bring them back uh, and make a new covenant where he says, in verse 31 of that uh, chapter of Jeremiah, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, verse 33 there, I will be their God and they will be my people. And then... Uh, end of verse 34 there, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Through Jeremiah, uh, God promises in the midst of suffering due to sin, uh, he promises forgiveness in the midst of suffering due to sin. And in this way, Matthew sees the suffering of those in Bethlehem and Jesus' escape as the one who will bring God's forgiveness to those suffering for their own sins as the ultimate fulfilment of this scripture because Jesus gets to live now so that he might die later precisely for the forgiveness of sins uh, that uh, Jesus himself anticipates in the Lord's Supper later on in in the Gospel of Matthew that Matthew records. As such, Jesus, who is God's son and what he does, die for the forgiveness of sins, is the key to unlocking the meaning of the Old Testament, which is the testimony, as it has been mentioned, to God's promises all coming true through the Israelites in that in the person of Jesus. And as if to ram this point home, Matthew ends this chapter referring to the scriptures uh, as Jesus and his family end up in Nazareth again. So in verse 23 we read, And he went uh, and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, There is nowhere in the Old Testament where the Messiah, or God's Son, is called a Nazarene. So, what's going on here? (laughs) 
Well, some see a clever wordplay by Matthew using the word Nazarene uh, that alludes to Jesus being three things all at once. Uh, one, coming from Nazareth. Two, being a Nazarite, that is a holy person, someone set apart especially for God. And three, the promised Messiah in the line of David. Uh, in Hebrew, that's called the Neser, which sounds a little bit like Nazareth or Nazarene. But others uh, prefer to stay on a kind of a plain reading of Nazareth, that that is someone simply from, uh, sorry, Nazarene, a plain reading of Nazarene is someone who just simply comes from Nazareth, uh, which highlights Jesus' humility and later his rejection. After all, Nazareth is an obscure little town, apart from here in Matthew and one other historical record, there's no other record of Nazareth. Um, it's almost like it didn't exist. It's so insignificant. But uh, Matthew is summing up what the prophets say in general about the Messiah uh, calling him a Nazarene in the sense uh, that he'd have humble beginnings and be despised and rejected. Well, there are ample places in the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus in this, uh, like Psalm 22 or Psalm 69 or Isaiah 11 or Isaiah 49 and 53, 52 and 53 or Daniel chapter 9, particularly verse 26. But whatever the reason, whether it's a plain reading or an, a clever word play on the word Nazarene, Matthew wants us, us, his readers, to dig down deep into, into the scriptures to see Jesus, to see Jesus as God's son, come to forgive sins, as a Nazarene. And as such, Jesus is there. He unlocks the meaning and the point of the Old Testament. You may have seen uh, pictures, picture mosaics like this one, where the portrait is made up of a bunch of pictures from someone's life, different stories at different times, but all going together to make up the one portrait. Well, the Old Testament, it's a little bit like this. All the stories and moments and bits and pieces that go into it, all going to giving us a fuzzy picture of the Messiah, who we know is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And by digging into the details of the Old Testament a little bit more, we can get to know Jesus more. We can get to know him as God's son, what that means, what it means to come and for him to come and forgive sins, what it means for him to come as a humble and despised Nazarene. We get to know Jesus more by digging deep into the Old Testament and looking for him there. That's why here at church, each term, we swap from looking at a, uh, a New Testament book and an Old Testament book uh, to go through together because we know Jesus, who's the key to unlock understanding the Old Testament better, which in turn helps us to know him and God better. If you're not used to reading the Old Testament, give it a crack. And if you are, remember to find Jesus in it first before moving on to apply it to yourself. Uh, it's firstly about Jesus. So, as you read the Old Testament, maybe ask yourself uh, these questions, just uh, some suggestions. Is there a pattern here that Jesus fulfills? That's a good question to ask as you're reading. What does this tell me about Jesus as God's Son? Uh, what does this tell me about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus? Uh, or what does this tell me about God as Saviour in Jesus? They're just some suggested questions that you might ask as you come to the Scriptures to firstly see Jesus in them. So that's the first one. Jesus is the key to unlocking the Old Testament for us. And the second point is that Jesus is the key to unlock doing life. Because he's not just... Uh, the antitype in scripture, he's the antitype in being human. 
Uh, he's what it means to be human. Because although uh, we're told in Genesis that we are made in God's image and that's confirmed time and time and time again throughout the Bible, that image is Christ. As the Apostle Paul tells us, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were created for him and by him. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. We were made by him, in his image, for him. To be truly human then is to recognise our humanity finds its source and its purpose in Christ. To be truly human then is to trust in Christ and to be like Christ. Which means in Christ we have the key to unlocking what it means to be truly human and so to do life well and to recognise him uh, in the Bible and in others. So as we read the Bible, uh, we can figure out those that we're to be like, as an example is in there, in as much as they are like Christ. As the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Which means as we read the Bible, after we've looked to see how Christ might fulfil it, we're going to look to see how it might help us to live like Christ. So for instance, uh, Christ humbled himself, he was obedient to God, even though it meant dying on a cross. And in our passage today we see Joseph being like Christ in his obedience. He's quick to listen to God and obey him. Uh, when the angel tells God's angel tells him to get up, he gets up, verse 14. When God's angel tells him to take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, Joseph does it. When God's angel tells him to get up again in verse 20, he gets up. And when God's angel tells him to take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel in verse 21, he does it. When God warns him not to go to Judea, he goes to Nazareth in Galilee instead. In all these moves, Joseph is very careful to obey God. I uh, know someone who moved very recently uh, to Brisbane, uh, maybe even watching online now. Hey, Jimmy. Uh, probably, though, he's still recovering because uh, there was a bit of a mix-up with the removalists, which basically meant he had to do a whole lot of work, extra work, before having to jump straight into his car to drive up to Brizzy. Uh, he popped in on Thursday just uh, before he hit the road, and he was wrecked, poor little possum. And that's just one move in six years. Whereas Joseph had to up and move his family twice in two years without even dodgy removalists and at the threat of death hanging over them. It would have been exhausting and stressful and I'm sure it would have been a whole lot easier, maybe even safer, to have stayed in Egypt. After all, it's too dangerous to go back to the place where they came, as he finds out, and so they have to keep going a long way up north to the forgettable backwater that is Nazareth. It would be a bit like going to Brisbane from Gosford. As if you would. <laughs> and yet, uh, Joseph obeyed God. Right? He, he was careful to do what God wanted, no matter how inconvenient or even dangerous. And in this, he's a type of Christ for us. To be obedient to God when we hear from him, when we know what he wants from us, particularly, especially when it's hard. And, and maybe, well, maybe that's you here today. Maybe you've been reading the Bible, listening to a sermon, reading a Christian book, uh, you've had a moment to reflect and you've been convicted by God about a bad habit that you've got and you're walking at stopping it, either because it's so ingrained or so enjoyable or so whatever. Or maybe you've been reading the Bible and felt that strong urge to, to love people better, 
to count the cost. And then a broken person with a messy life has just come into your life. What are you going to do? Well, think on Joseph as a pattern of Christ and obey God and become more of the human Christ made you to be. Because in Christ we have the key to unlocking what it means to be truly human and to do life well. Which means seeing him not only in the Bible but recognising him in others, not just in the Bible but around us. As members of this church family, there are people here who know Jesus and have walked closely with him uh, for a long time that are worth imitating as they imitate Christ. Now I'm not going to name names. Uh, but there's a guy who's uh, not so young, but he's humbly learning how to do new things. So to humbly serve people for Christ's sake. He's a type of Christ in this. And he's worth imitating. There's some young people who put their hand up to help out regularly in church in various ways. They're a type of Christ. Worth imitating. I know others hearing of distressed neighbours, they've sought them out help them and pray for them and with them. They're a type of Christ worth imitating. It's worth keeping your eyes out for these types of people who are being like Christ so that you might get some good ideas and imitate them. Jesus is the key. The key to unlock the Old Testament and the key to unlock doing life. As we look for him fulfilling scripture, and as we look for him in the lives of those in its pages and in the lives of our own lives so that we might imitate them. And I'm going to pray now that we do that more and more. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Bible. We thank you that in its pages Jesus can be seen by your Spirit. We thank you that Matthew has alerted us again to how your word anticipates him, uh, the Old Testament particularly, and we ask that you would help us as we read it to be looking for Jesus in its pages, in its stories and its characters so that we might be encouraged in our faith in Jesus, that he is God's son, come to forgive sins as a Nazarene, humble and despised for our sake. But also we thank you that Jesus uh, is not only the key to unlocking, reading and understanding and knowing and appreciating the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, but uh, knowing what it means to be human and doing life well. Help us to take on board those characters that demonstrate Christ-likeness in your word and also around about us so that we might imitate them for Christ's sake and in his name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.